week. And it, it's important for us to spend time calling out to the Lord, uh, even if we're tuning in from Zoom, even if we're not in the same room together. And tonight our prayer time is going to be a little bit more somber. As our local community has been hit by two pretty significant tragedies this week. If you've been keeping up with the news, especially in Lancaster, but it's also reached national news, Ricardo Munoz uh, in Lancaster City was shot and killed this week. And then we're going to be praying and, and lamenting the death of 12-year-old Max Schallenberger from Anvil, Pennsylvania, which is the town that LBC is in. For those of you who aren't aware of those details, Ricardo was shot and killed by an officer who was responding to Ricardo's family's calls to the local crisis center. And Ricardo suffered from schizophrenia and was in the middle of an episode when he attacked the police officer with a knife. Then 12-year-old uh, Max Schallenberger was horribly neglected and abused for his whole life to the point of death at the hands of his father and stepmother. In addition to the, the sadness of both of these events, they hit close to home for us here in Lancaster, uh, whether you're from the area of Lancaster, which we know that many of you are, or if you simply attend college uh, at one of our Lancaster schools. Because Ricardo Munoz uh, not only lived in Lancaster City, he attended Thaddeus Stevens. He was an alumni of Thaddeus Stevens College. And then the house that Max lived in and he suffered in and died in was right next to LVC, just off campus. Now we recognize that both of these tragedies uh, are, are troubling at a number of different levels, especially in the season of uncertainty that we're in and because they've happened in our own communities. These are the type of things that you think happen out there, not in your own neighborhood. And as Disciple Maker staff, we want you guys to know that we're here for you. If you need to process any of these things, if you need to process things going on outside of those things, um, anything you might be wrestling with in this season, particularly as it relates to suffering and questions. So please don't hesitate to reach out to any of us. Um, we're here for you guys. So the question is, how do Christians respond when we hear about such horrific situations? How do we respond uh, to the, the violence that we see? How do we respond to something like uh, a death of a 12-year-old boy? Well, it's tempting to do one of four things. We can distance, we can downplay, we can despair, or we can debate. So we can distance ourselves from the pain and, and just you know, keep the heartache out of sight, out of mind. We can downplay the severity of it, even apply Bible band-aids to the situation. We can fall into despair and be overwhelmed by hopelessness, or we can turn it into a debate, as often these tragedies turn into so quickly and we can neglect the, the grieving and lamenting process. But the Bible gives us another way, and it's called lament. It's honestly crying out to the Lord. And laments are all over the scriptures, particularly in the Psalms. And what laments do is they hold both grief and hope together in tension. It allows us to fully recognize the heartache and the pain. It invites us to, to question God and to ask him to help us as we turn to him in trust. So as we consider the, the deaths and tragedies of both Ricardo and Max, we're going to spend time lamenting together tonight. This prayer uh, is going to be coming up on the screen, and I'm going to pray specifically about these situations, and you're going to call and respond with some, some prayers that come from the laments of Scripture. I know that responding out loud, um, if you're on your own, might feel a little awkward, but remember that you're crying out to the Lord with everyone else in this room, that we're crying out to the Lord together for the sake of these families in these situations. So let's pray. We grieve with the friends and family of Ricardo Munoz. We ache with them as they mourn the loss of their son, brother, and friend. Hear the cries of the afflicted. We grieve with the police officer who was attacked by Ricardo Munoz as he grieves the decision he was forced to make. We grieve with his family, too, as they process this event and its impact on their lives and our community. Hear the cries of the afflicted. We grieve the terrible abuse and death of 12-year-old Max Schoenberger. We are heartbroken 
that his dignity was destroyed and his life was taken away in such a horrific and evil manner. And we long for justice in light of his death. Hear the cries of the afflicted. Lord, why would you allow these things to happen? Why allow suffering like this to reach such devastating consequences? Why do you stand far away? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? How long, O oh Lord, must suffering and evil go on for? How long until you bring the full restoration that you have promised? How long, O oh Lord, will you hide yourself forever? O oh God, we do not understand how tragedies like this can fit with your goodness and power. But we trust in your steadfast love. We have doubts, we have questions, we are sad, angry, tired, and confused. But we trust in your steadfast love. We look to the cross of Jesus as proof that you do not stand far off. You have come near and experienced pain, betrayal, abuse, and death. You entered into our suffering and took the sin of this world upon yourself. And we believe that you rose from the grave, which gives us the only true hope that the brokenness will be restored. And we trust that you will return to wipe away our tears, destroy death, and make all things new. Come, Lord Jesus. Take a moment to reflect and to pray on your own regarding these situations, and we'll close in prayer together. Let's close by praying the Lord's Prayer together, which should be on your screen. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Well, we're going to hear now another testimony as we do every week. And in light of what we just prayed about, it's fitting that Rachel from LBC is going to share her story of how Jesus brought hope into the darkness that she's experienced. So hear her story. Hey guys, my name is Rachel. I am a fifth year physical therapy major at LVC. And I'm just gonna tell you guys a little bit about my story and um, getting to know Christ and kind of what's happened in my life since then. Um, so I grew up in church, um, but I didn't really understand what that meant and who the Lord was until my sophomore year of college. And that was through Disciple Makers. Um, God pursued me and showed me that he was the only one worth following and putting my hope in. Um, and there was a void in my life, something I was trying to fill with relationships and grades and perfection. And Christ filled that and showed me that he was so much more worth following than any of those things. Um, since then, as I've been pushing more into Christ, um, the evil one has been more after me than ever. Because before I was following the Lord, I was walking hand in hand with with the evil one through my life and I changed directions to walk with Christ. And that's not where Satan wants me. He wants to destroy that relationship. Um, and as a Christian, walking through things like depression and self-harm and sexual assault really allowed the enemy to take hold of my mind and distort who Jesus was. I would hear things in my mind like I don't deserve to be happy or I need to punish myself for X, Y, and Z or it was my fault for putting myself in a position to be sexually assaulted or 
the Bible says that Jesus will walk with you through all things. But this one is actually too much, and you're alone. Um, this was really difficult because these, all of these thoughts sounded like they were my own voice and they were my own feelings. And I really, really felt that God uh, forgot me in those moments. Because why would he let all those horrible things happen? I don't necessarily know the answer to that, but I know that he showed me that those thoughts were wrong. He didn't leave me alone in those situations. He pursued me in those and after those and showed me his goodness. What um, was saying was not true and he gave me that discernment, um, which I'm super grateful for because it's so hard when, when your own feelings are lying to you. Um, the hardest thing is when Satan just distorts God enough to make you doubt and that doubt just leads you to further and further. But the good news is, no matter how much you doubt, it doesn't change who God is. He's still the same God who sent his son Jesus to suffer in our place and pay for our sins only because he loves us. What I have learned since uh, following the Lord my sophomore year is that Jesus is approachable. He is drawn into our brokenness. He feels our pain and suffers with us. And no life circumstance that I've been through or that any of you guys have been through can change who he is. He is unchanging and that is a fact. Jesus can be relied on when all else fails because he will never leave us. There's a book I'm currently reading about the characteristics of Jesus called Gentle and Lowly, and I just want to close with this. So this is talking about Jesus. His yoke is kind and his burden is light. That is, his yoke is a non-yoke and his burden is a non-burden. What helium does to a balloon, Jesus's yoke does to his followers. We are buoyed along in life by his endless gentleness and supremely accessible lowliness. He does not simply meet us at our place of need. He lives in our place of need. He never tires of sweeping us into his tender embrace. It is his very heart. It is what gets him out of bed in the morning. So thank you guys for listening to my story. Um, if you have any questions or just wanna reach out after to chat, uh, feel free to. Um, and thanks for listening. Hey, hey, well, welcome everyone. It's good to be with you. Um, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Joel Martin, and uh, I have the privilege of gonna be leading us through our time in God's word, but I also have the privilege of having some awesome people up here with me. The first that I've gotta introduce is my mom. So this is my mom, Cindy, so you can say hi to her. Um, she's famous for a lot of things, um, serving people, and in our community, there's something called Cindy Snacks which uh, as my size reveals is an awesome thing. So, but uh, it's great to have you here, mom. And then I think uh, since this already has been sort of the Clint show, you already know who Clint is. So yes, but uh, we are gonna be continuing in our series uh, in the gospel of Luke, which we called certainty. And uh, I'm really excited tonight because we are going to see with certainty uh, a depiction of Jesus as the supreme authority. And, um, having power over sickness and death. And I think just in light of even the things that we've prayed about, um, it's, it's just going to hopefully be comforting to see uh, Jesus have this authority and power uh, that really comes to bear on these issues. So thanks for joining us. We're gonna be interactive tonight. We really do wanna engage with you. And uh, for those of you who are unfamiliar, we use a method of Bible study uh, some people call it inductive Bible study. We uh, just use an acronym, we say OIA, which just means that there are three main phases anytime that you come to studying a portion of scripture, and they are observation, interpretation, and application. And all that means is you take some time to look at what it says before you try to even figure out all of what it means. So it's, it's spending that time peering in and gazing before really coming to a conclusion. Then you have a time of uh, interpretation. That's where you're trying to figure out what does this thing really mean that I'm reading? And we'll try to zero in on what we call a main point. And then the fun begins where we say, we believe that God's word has application to all of life. So how does this passage begin to apply in my life, 
to the those around me, to our whole world. And so that's uh, kind of the, the rhythm we're gonna follow tonight. So what I'd like to invite you to do with us is observation. So what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna read to us uh, Luke chapter seven, verses one through 10. So if you have a Bible, we're gonna be in the English Standard Version, you can follow along, but there should also be uh, in the chat a, a place where you can grab a PDF of our text tonight. And uh, as I read, the first thing that we're gonna observe in the text is what is repeated. Um, and that's because uh, whatever someone thinks is important, they say a lot. You know, whatever someone thinks is important, they, you got it. All right, so here we go. Um, I'm gonna read, but try to take note of repeated words. And then we're gonna have you engage through the chat or if you're in one of those watch parties, uh, you've got Clint's number. We'd love to hear from you as we go. So let's read God's word together. It says this, after he had finished, all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. Now a centurion had a servant who was sick and at the point of death, who was highly valued by him. When the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent him elders of the Jews asking him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly saying, well, this guy, he's worthy to have you do this for him for he loves our nation. And he is the one who built us our synagogue. And Jesus went with them. And when he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends saying, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I did not presume to come to you, but say the word and let my servant be healed. For I too am a man set under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him. And turning to the crowd that followed him, he said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. And when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant well. Love this passage. So let's go ahead and dive in. We want to hear from you. What did you notice is repeated in this text? Well, we'll just wait till you guys type. So... Don't let it uh, be too awkward for us. So what do you guys, what do you see? Cue the elevator music while we wait. Or Jeopardy. Oh, Jeopardy. Scent, yes, scent. Um, we see that coming up all throughout here. In fact, um, there's a lot of motion words, right? Come mm -hmm. or scent, uh, I want you to come. Oh, I got a text. Whoa, hello. Centurion. Ooh, Centurion, yes. Um, and just to be clear, in case all of you don't know, centurion, that was a, a military position in the Roman army. It was a, a man who was over a hundred other soldiers. So uh, it's helpful to know that this was not a, uh, a Jewish person, but a Roman. So that's, that's a really good point. So centurion comes up quite a bit. What else do we got? Healed. Yes, we, uh, we have healed coming up uh, a number of places. Good. What else? We got some other ones. Servant. Servant. Yeah. Right. And this whole, I would broaden it out. I don't know if you guys would as well. You have the whole authority structure thing going on there. So there's servants and there's centurions or a person who's over mm -hmm. things. Um, so we have all that authority part going on. Well, and even with that, Grace from E-Town pointed out the idea of being worthy enough, hmm. which comes up in verse four and verse six. So like, even how people are responding to authority, which is a good observation. Right. And I mean, if we're taking it even further, we have an authority figure, a man in charge of a lot saying, mm -hmm. I'm not worthy, which mm -hmm. is just, it's a, it's an interesting observation even there. Good. What else? Other, other things that are repeated? We can open it up to our panel here as well. Do you guys see other things that are repeated? Do you see anything, Cindy? They got all the big ones I uh, look yeah, at. Yeah, <laughs> I don't see any. You guys rocked it. I think we uh, we pretty oh, much hit. There's deserve. Deserve. Okay. Yeah, and we have a, a few phrases repeated, you know, go and go, come and come, do this, and he does it, um, mm -hmm. that whole that whole rhythm. Um, and, and like we had pointed out before, there's, there's this whole movement thing going on, Jesus mm -hmm. coming and going. Um, there's something big about that here, but we'll, we'll get to that. So that's great. So that's, that's just starting to lay the foundation in our Bible study. So one of the other questions that I wanted to pitch to you all was, 
what do we learn about the centurion? So in other words, use everything that we can in the text to try to paint a picture of who this man was, what he was like. Um, yeah, so you could use words, but try to reference, if you can, um, different lines, verses, where you see certain things. But um, while they're thinking about it, I'll let each of you say maybe one thing you've observed about the centurion. So. I, I would have said that he is, he shows humility when he says that he is not worthy. Mm. Um, trying to think which was that. Uh, verse six, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. There was a sense of him having humility. And even though he was a man of authority, we would expect him to maybe kind of assert his power and position, but he doesn't view himself mm. that yeah. way. Very <laughs> humble, absolutely. I would say in addition to that, um, that it seems like he's not only humble, but he cares a lot about the people uh, that he's in authority over. I mean, verse two says that his servant was highly valued by him. So it seems like he's a good person to follow as well. Yeah, right. So, I mean, it's very clear that he has a heart for the people that are under him, right? That he, I mean, one, he's caring for this sick servant, mm -hmm. um, highly valued. Um, I think TJ said something on your TJ text. texted from LVC the same thing that I just said. So. Hi, TJ, by the way. Hey, TJ. Good observation that he, he pointed out that he highly valued the life of the, ah, the yes. servant. Good. Yeah, other words or things that come to mind? He gave back to the community. I love that. Yeah, I was going to say generous, right? Mm -hmm. He seems to be very generous if he was the one who... Uh, presumably from his own funds, built a, a whole church. And a synagogue, again, if you don't know, is the Jewish gathering place, a building where they would have gathered. And so here, ironically enough, you have a non-Jew building a place of worship and gathering for the Jewish people. And that's probably why they're saying he loves our nation, which I'll just throw that in as my own observation. That gives you another hint about him. He obviously had some desire to know the God of the Bible or the God of the Jews. Um, we don't exactly know his relationship, but he had some sort of interest, um, even that wasn't part of his normal culture. Mm -hmm. Good. Noah from Thaddeus Stevens pointed out that the Jews spoke well of him, which kind of goes yeah. in line with that. Yep. Yeah. The Jews did speak well. Yep. So he had a good reputation, um, generous. I'm trying to see if you guys have some other yeah, he's aware of his authority. I love that. Mm -hmm. Yep, um, absolutely. He he's a man who knows power structure, right? <laughs> yeah, we were we were actually just joking around that uh, before we got here, understanding who's in charge. So good. Any, anything else? Yeah, someone else texted me. I wish I could know the names, but just a bunch of digits. Uh, so <laughs> I, I can call out them. special thanks to seven one seven. Yeah, um, four four three said uh, that. Uh, he recognizes his own authority, but also recognizes that his authority falls under Jesus. Hmm. Just, that's a great yeah. point. So he's kind of, he's in authority, but he also understands. And it's kind of an outworking of that humility mm -hmm. piece. Good. Um, yeah, I mean, there's some obvious little details. Capernaum, he's in Capernaum. So we know what region <laughs> he's from. Um, and yeah. So he's in the military. It's another aspect about this guy. So very familiar with the power structures. This is great. I think this sets the stage for the next question that I want to ask. And that's really, what do we learn about Jesus in this passage? So just try to, to list out anything that we kind of see or, or learn or pick up uh, that's new in this passage about Jesus. So that can be you all or anyone texting or, or chatting in here. This is super minor, but Jesus is going into Capernaum. <laughs> Great. So <laughs> he's uh, a traveling man. <laughs> he's a traveling man. There, there's this intersection, right, of Jesus coming into the place where this tragedy is unfolding, where there's a servant who's sick and close to dying. Jesus is, is coming in and being proximate. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Good. He responded to them coming and pleading with him earnestly, said the the um, centurion sent them elders of the Jews. He responded to that request. Yes. Yes. And we're going to pay attention to that because it's very interesting that Jesus chose to respond 
even though we're going to see that I'm playing my cards a little bit here, even though he didn't have to, right? We're going to see that he didn't have to, but he chooses to uh, respond and come in. Mm -hmm. Good. Noah from Daddy Steven says that Jesus doesn't speak until the end. Yeah. Uh, yeah. In, in, in some senses, he's very uh, quiet, you know? Mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of other talking and sending and shuttling and all this stuff happening. Mm -hmm. And Jesus is just there at the end. Mm -hmm. Good. What else? What else do we learn? Caitlin pointed out that Jesus was impressed with the centurion's faith. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, just observationally, it's not often, if you read the rest of the Gospels, that Jesus is impressed. So, um, I mean, this is a, more of an observation from the whole of the book, if you ever get a chance to read it. Often Jesus is taking issue with things or challenging people or exhorting them. It's not often that he's going, whoa, you know? And so that, that's a significant observation. Good. Brandon said that Jesus has power and authority. Mm. That's a good observation. Good job, Brandon. Yeah, I mean, and, and specifically, what do we see here, right? We see what power does he have? He is able to heal somebody remotely, <laughs> right? Um, the original Zoom. Um, but anyway. <laughs> extreme social distancing. <laughs> yeah, extreme social distancing. Uh, but no, he has authority even at a distance to, to, heal, this, to heal this man. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Good. Anything else that's floating out there? In mm. either of your thoughts or? It's hard to uh, organize my thoughts while I'm paying attention to the I know, I know. So, so keep them coming. It's helpful. I think that's a large part of what we, we see about Jesus. He's responsive. He has authority. He's sort of reserved and quiet. He's willing to, to engage um, and, and so forth. Mm-hmm. Cool. Well, that's sort of just, if you're kind of taking a pause, this is where we have landed in, in Bible study. That's kind of the observation phase. That was just taking some time, looking at the text, trying to figure out what's going on. The next phase that we want to kind of enter into is sort of the interpretive phase where we're trying to ask, what does this mean? And as I was thinking about a question that gets at what's going on in this passage, I think that observation, I forget who made it, that, that Jesus marveled at this centurion. I just want to ask the question, why? Like, in other words, from the text, can we glean, and this is where I think you guys are free to, to jump in, um, but we're going to try to lead it a little bit more. We won't just wait on you, but uh, please do interject. But, you know, Clint, Cindy, what do you think? Um, why do you think Jesus marveled at this centurion? It seems like verse 9, this is less of a guess and more of just an observation that he's marveling at his faith in particular. Hmm. So, I mean, that's only scratching the surface, but that seems to be the kind of the, the, the main thing that he's marveling at. Yes. Cause he says, I haven't found such faith in Israel. Yep. So has something to do with faith. And part of that to me is if I'm asking somebody for something that is really unusual at the request of the centurion is and that person who is someone of influence is coming to me to answer that for me to then say to him oh you don't need to bother coming all you need to do is just say it from where you are that's not how most of us respond <laughs> we want that person to come to us we want that person near to really have all the power and all the influence yep. of that person. So I think he's kind of marveling that there is this, oh, you don't need to come, just say it and it'll happen, mm -hmm. which is an incredible yeah. amount of faith. Yeah, mm -hmm. it is. That's really good. Let's try to drill down a little bit more. Like what specifically, so faith means that you're believing something mm -hmm. about a certain situation or set of facts or whatever. What do you think was the content of his faith? Like in other words, like what, so there's something about the faith. I mean, other people had faith, right? And clearly, I mean, there's a crowd here that's following after Jesus. So there are other people that are seeing something dynamic or about this man that they want to follow. But what is it that sets his faith to like the next level that Jesus is just like, yeah, you're, mm -hmm. you're rocking it. What do you guys think? I think one of the things, it's interesting as it, he the centurion in verse nine or verse eight, he's talking about his own authority to say something and make it happen based on his word. So in terms of like 
describing his faith, it seems like the object of his faith is knowing Jesus has authority to do something similar, but even more like, Mm. I trust your ability to say something and make it happen. Cause he's saying like, I kind of have that same authority. I tell people to go and they go. He's like, so I believe that you have a similar authority to make my servant well. So it's like, yep. It's a trust in Jesus's ability and his authority in that sense. Mm -hmm. Love it. Yeah. So my question was when I read it is, is there a sense that he is recognizing that Jesus is the son of God, that he has authority? And I know that that was something that Jesus was looking for in people to recognize who he was. And was there an element of that in recognizing that you have authority? So where does that authority come from? Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think off of that, I, I was trying to distinguish in my mind between like, what did most people believe about Jesus? And maybe what did the centurion take a little bit further? Mm-hmm. You know, I think a lot of people, and I think today we still understand this, we recognize that maybe we feel like there are certain people who know the Lord really well and are very connected, or you know, we call them prayer warriors. But it's like, we understand that they're connected with God in a deep way. And we think that their power is derivative, right? In other words, that it flows from God, that, you know, as long as they're proximate, they can sort of for lack of a better word, they can channel the power of God. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the centurion takes it a step further to say, no, you are God because you speak and this happens. You don't have to, you don't have to ask or you don't have to channel in the same way. Mm-hmm. You just, you do it and it happens. There's no, it's, it's the difference between a request and a command. He recognizes that Jesus doesn't have to request this thing Jesus just has to say it mm-hmm. and it comes. And I think mm-hmm. that's what Jesus is going, ah, brother, you've got it. Mm-hmm. You've got who I am. Um, and which is either very arrogant if Jesus isn't God or <laughs> we know what's going on. Yeah. So, yeah. Lauren from, I'm assuming LVC, because I don't know how else you'd have my number said. He wasn't a Jew and he recognized his own inferiority to Jesus and might not have a faith background, but he had enough faith in what he had heard about Jesus that he could heal his servant without even going into the house. So there's even the element of he wasn't part of the in crowd when it came to God's people, which is a huge point. Well, I appreciate you raising that because I, I would add that one of the other reasons that Jesus marvels here, even spells it out in verse nine, is that not even in Israel have I found such faith. Mm -hmm. So it's, there's a marveling that there's such a great magnitude of faith, but then there's also a marveling that this was not one of the quote-unquote, expected people. This, this was, these weren't the people who knew God. These were the people that were distant. They weren't part of God's people, his covenant, those sorts of things, and he's marveling. Hmm. Um, which just, as a little bit of an aside, <laughs> this was a very racially charged statement that Jesus would have said hmm. in this environment. He would have been basically... Hmm countering all of the expectations of the Jews that were watching. They would have looked at this Roman and they would have said, well, I'm glad you're kind of getting on board. You're kind of coming to the elite club. Good job building our synagogue. We're glad that you're kind of now recognizing who we are. And Jesus just comes in and goes, Mm -hmm. by the way, this is the guy that's got it. Mm -hmm. This is the guy that I'm marveling at. And all the rest of you, you're now on the outside building off of this guy's so uh just throwing that out there for what that's worth yeah uh jesus didn't mind rocking the boat when it came to race issues so anyway i like uh i like the point that charlotte made um just trying to read it quickly but the fact that that the centurion would also do this in front of a crowd as well like you see other stories like nicodemus Mm. in john 3 for instance who is a man of authority but he goes to jesus at night like kind of like sneak in to figure Jesus out. The centurion in front of a bunch of people was willing to humble himself, even the people he was over authority of, which that's a great point that Charlotte made. Yeah, well said, Mm -hmm. well said. So I think we're starting to get at the heart of what's going on here. I think some of the key themes that we're seeing is the the theme of authority, right? That that's one of the key things that we're also recognizing that faith is one of those key themes. And also faith coming from unexpected places. Mm-hmm. Um, but just kind of hitting that, stepping out of the study for just a moment, we've been doing this observe, interpret. We've been doing the initial stages of interpretation where you're starting to ask questions about the text. But I think as you kind of get towards the end, we want to drill down to a main point, like where we say, 
if we had to guess, Luke, as he's writing this, why does he put this in here? Like, what does, what was he driving at? What was his point? So that's what I want to ask you. And feel free to chime in out there on the uh, interwebs. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. So, um, but yeah. Putting us on the spot. I am putting you on the spot. But what would you say the, and it does, and here's the fun for all of you listening. It doesn't have to be this beautifully polished, well thought out thing. It's, it's just doing your best stab to take it and put it all together. But it does have to rhyme, right? Isn't that? If you're Clint and can do that just <laughs> naturally, then yes, it does. So now you've added that on yourself. What rhymes with centurion? Oh, please. <laughs> he's just, he's just. Mandalorian. Mandalorian, nice. <laughs> anyway, do you guys have a thought as to what the, you would say the main point is? So I think, I feel like the main point is him recognizing that someone who is not a Jew had great faith in Christ. And um, just as an example to us. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think so. Would you piggyback off of that or? Mm -hmm. I would, I don't know how, I can't like wordsmith it, but something about then defining that faith as recognizing the authority that Jesus has. Yep. So I don't know how to put all that together, but yeah, like the outsider having faith and like impressive faith. And what that is, is trusting in Jesus' authority. Yep. Yeah. I, I think to summarize what you two are saying is in a way, this passage defines what faith is and what it is not. Right. So in other words, <laughs> it says what it is, is a, a belief that Jesus is the one in authority, that he has that, not a derivative authority, but a direct authority, that when he speaks, it happens. But I think the, the Israel part, not even in Israel have I found this, it's saying what faith is not. It's not some sort of, you know, ancestral privilege. It's not some sort of, you know, code of who I am. Um, it, it's honestly not very much based on who the person is at all, right? It's based on who that person is looking to. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that would have been sort of the surprise, if you will, of this mm -hmm. passage. Uh, and really, probably by Luke records it, is he wants his readers to know, yeah, faith is not linked to your ancestry. It's not linked to your identity, you know, man, woman, in any sort of like earthly sense. It's about who do you believe that Jesus is? That's sort of the the heart of what marvelous faith is. Mm -hmm. um, nice. Mm. Good work. Mm -hmm. So this passage is about what faith is and what it isn't. It is about Jesus's authority. It's not about your ancestry or identity. Awesome. So if we're doing that whole flow of the Bible study, we're now at that application part. And I think this is where it gets fun because every, you know, the scriptures say elsewhere that the scriptures were meant for our encouragement, our exhortation, and for our application. That these are, even though they were written 2,000 years ago to a specific audience, that they are still alive and living for us today. So with that assumption undergirding this next few minutes of discussion, how has this passage sort of nudged you, impacted you, helped you think um, applicationally? Mm -hmm. um, are we missing any comments here, by the way? I mean, there was some good thoughts on the main point, just recognizing that Jesus' Jesus' power, his authority. Um, okay. So, I mean, good points. Cool. But yes, thanks for sharing. Sorry. Yeah. It's like, how do you just, do all this at once? Mm -hmm. It's You're doing great. Perfect. So what do you guys think? What do you got? And I'm assuming we're bringing, we're allowing applications from the students or? Oh yes, yeah. yes, as always. If you have applications, please. We would love to hear. Um, hear um. I think for me, it was hard because you wish that this could be your story, especially when you're experiencing suffering. Like yeah. this is the type of healing and restoration that you want in the moment. So, but I think in front in, in light of what even we were praying about with Ricardo Munoz and Max, and then all like the layers of suffering that those losses are connected to, um, it's trusting Jesus in the macro, like the cosmic level of this happening, because we can't see Jesus doing anything right now, or it's a lot harder to see this sort of restoration that he's bringing. Like the, the centurion didn't <laughs> see whether or not his servant was being healed. He had faith that Jesus was doing something about it. And so I think when we're asking for restoration, when we're asking God to work all things together for good, 
we're, we're not going to see that necessarily immediately, but it, faith is trusting that it is going to happen because Christ does have the authority. Yeah, that's a really good point that there was a moment, even in this story, where he turns, in figuratively, turns Jesus away mm-hmm. and does still not have the healing and has to wait mm-hmm. for, yeah, that's mm-hmm. really good. Yeah, good. Um, I think for me, as I was reflecting similarly i just i think recently i felt the weight of the world if you want to put it that way just the sickness and death just today heard of some others of friends of mine who got sick and yeah it just seems it comes all the time for me it is helpful to remember that there is a man in authority and that jesus is that one in authority that he will speak and it will be done and it's not outside of his control. And, and part of me wonders just how, we don't know, but how Jesus knew all of this. Um, I also really appreciate um, Jesus's response to lesser faith. And this was the point that I was, you had brought up earlier, is that he responds, he comes. See, the centurion had this faith that he could act at a distance, but not everyone else did. And Jesus was willing to come and engage at that level. Mm-hmm. But then when there was the greater faith, then he was like, I marvel. So it's just comforting to know that even if my faith is like, you know, like <laughs> way down here, like even if I think it's just derivative authority that he's got her and mm-hmm. I don't fully understand that Jesus still comes in. Um, anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good. There's a couple of thoughts that come, came Go in. Here. Um, a new number, new 717. No matter what little faith you have or how far you stray away from Jesus, he still has authority over everything. Our faith might be as small as a mustard seed, but he's still bigger than us. Just what you were saying. Yeah, absolutely. And then Cassie from E-Town said that Jesus has ultimate authority. This can be remember, or important for us to remember that Jesus is accessible and available to us so we don't have to search for power in other things or people. Mm. That's really good. Yes. Yeah, and we didn't even talk about the centurion not going to other places. Mm, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really mm-hmm. well said. Awesome. Any other thoughts or? No, I think for me, it's the acting in faith toward Jesus. Hmm. And this is an encouragement to me when I am feeling um, down about something or just uh, looking for answers that Jesus is the person with um, the answers and he will respond to, like you said earlier, even that small little bit, like yeah. someone said, the mustard seed. Mm-hmm. That's encouraging to me. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. So this passage gives us something to aspire to, you know, mm-hmm. a centurion-like faith, but recognizing that mm-hmm. Jesus responds in the midst of that. Which Jacob had a really good uh, application. He said, God is the almighty authority. Any leadership or authority I can have should be used to show others his authority, which is really cool. I didn't even think of that, that the centurion as a man in authority is showcasing Jesus' authority. So like any Mm. sort of Mm. position or leadership that we have can be or should be showing his authority, which that's a great point. Nice. Mm -hmm. So in conclusion, we're going to have you all lead next week. You guys are rocking (laughs) it. Good job. Uh, No, but thank you. I think this is, this has been really good. So Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm going to turn it over to Clint now. He's going to just give you a, a few closing announcements, I believe. Yeah. Thanks for participating, guys. It's really helpful. It feels like for us, we still get to see you and participate with you. So I know it's a little different, obviously, like texting me or talking about it in the chat, but it, it really feels like we're, we're together studying scriptures together. So thanks for participating. Uh, sorry if we didn't get to mention um, you guys have so many thoughts. It's hard to <laughs> hard to read all in real time, but you guys are, are really making this enjoyable for us mm-hmm. as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, so a couple of announcements, uh, and I think Keith is going to get a, a video queued up. So hot off the press again, uh, fall conference is coming up in a few weeks. And what's really exciting this, this year is that there's no cost. So our organization uh, has done everything we can to just offset the, the additional cost for broadcasting and all that. Um, So it is gonna be online, obviously, but uh, we really want it to be another opportunity for you to dive deeper in your faith, to learn more about Jesus, and to find the hope that Christ can give us in the midst of all the noise and uh, difficulty in this season. So I think Keith is gonna queue up the video, so stay tuned.
school closures in 37 states affecting more than 37 million kids from kindergartners all the way to coronavirus. Some families are struggling to adjust as the coronavirus crisis There's a lot going on right now. And it feels like everything is out of control. But the Bible says that all things are being brought under the control and authority of Christ. And this should give us incredible hope. Join us online on October 9th and 10th for our annual fall conference as we explore what the Bible says about Jesus and why it's relevant for our lives. Register online at dm.org slash Christ alone. So uh, hopefully that piques your interest. Uh, it's going to be an awesome weekend, time in the word. There's going to be some main sessions with worship and also some breakout sessions. And some of you guys, if you're able to, are going to be able to watch it and watch parties. I know at least the LVC, that's the game plan. And depending on where you're at, you can get together with other people to watch it together. In addition to uh, just attending and watching, those of you who are joining from either any of our three schools, there's going to be a scavenger hunt during the weekend. Normally when we're together, we try to have fun, you know, get to know each other. Uh, it's usually in Harrisburg, so we walk around the city, but obviously we can't do that. But we can still have fun. So... There's going to be a ridiculous scavenger hunt that we are planning. Not going to give you details yet, but uh, if gross what is that uh, has been a fun game for you, this is going to take it to another level. So if you want to participate in that, you have to come to fall conference. So sign up dm.org slash Christ alone. Uh, you can get signed up and we can get you more information as we get closer to the date. Uh, the only other two things is as always, uh, if you haven't gotten connected, we have small groups happening at all three of our campuses. So if you're not plugged in, uh, if you don't uh, have a small group that you're part of, we would love for you to join us. So stick around. There's going to be slides with uh, the, the contact information for each of our schools so you can get signed up. Uh, and then the last thing is, please reach out if you have any questions about what we've been talking about here, whether it was during the prayer time or during the Bible study. Uh, we're here for you guys. This is what we're committed to. We're committed to you guys, and we're here to process, to talk, whether it's about real life, regular, everyday things, or the bigger substantial things that are going on in your lives and in our world. So don't hesitate. Thanks, guys.